uh, in our series, if you've got your notes, go ahead and grab them out. We said this. This is our working definition, uh, that prayer is simply engaging in an ongoing love relationship with your Heavenly Father. Uh, we complicate it a lot. We bring all kinds of different things and traditions and all, uh, all kinds of backgrounds to it. But, but at its essence, at its core, the design of what prayer is uh, intended to be is that prayer is simply engaging in an ongoing love relationship. That, that's God's heart. That's God's goal. That's God's longing is that prayer is this communication with the God of the universe, the sharing of hearts where you get to know him and he gets to know you and where you just open all of you to him and you stop trying to hide. You say, prayer, I just want to engage in this ongoing love relationship. And last week we had this big idea. We said this, the same laws, the same laws or principles that govern uh, our earthly relationships, uh, they apply to our spiritual relationship with God. The same laws that govern our earthly relationships, how we interact with one another, they apply to our spiritual relationship. Now, now there might be two kind of like light bulb moments in that phrase. For some of you, uh, you think relationships just happen and love will get us through. Or, and, and the reality is, is there's some principles that are true, whether you're religious or not religious, about all relationships. Last week we said this, communication is the primary pathway to intimacy. It, communication is the primary pathway to intimacy with others, with your mate, with a friend, but also with God. But the same laws that govern our earthly relationships also apply to our relationship with God. That we begin to disconnect, and when we pray, we, we, we disconnect the relational aspect of it. God, God isn't looking for a fu- form or a function, and he's not wanting a checklist of to-dos that you do and don't do, and you feel guilty when you don't, and you feel good when you do, and you have these kind of things, and well, okay, I'm just going to do this. He's looking, he's looking to have a relationship with you. The same laws. And so this week, uh, last week, we talked about how do we grow in intimacy with God? How do we experience intimacy and communication? And talked about that and talked about the Lord's Prayer. Uh, this week, if it's true, the same laws that govern our earthly relationships apply to our heavenly relationship, our spiritual relationship. Then the question is, we know this. The question then is, well, what are the barriers? What gets in the way of us experiencing intimacy with God? Because we know this, right? In our, in our earthly relationships, we, we know that, that there's times, and maybe, you know what, I didn't plan on this, but Andy, we hop up? Because I know you're tall, you can hop up here. All right, would you just stand on this side? And, and, and in communication, in relationships with people, we... we we often find that we get to know one another. It's really great, and it's awesome. And I get to know, hey, man, how are you? And, you know, we start to get to know one another. It's awesome. You're like, okay, very, very cool. Um, but then something happens, and, and all of a sudden, you know, you might have said something that hurt my feelings. Uh, and so then all of a sudden, something's built up between us. And I just feel like something's between us, you know. And, and then, as a result, you then begin to react and go, well, if that's the way Ingram's going to be, well, then I'm going to say this, and then pretty soon, here you go, you want to build a couple? There you go, there you go, this is fun, this is, uh, this is building block Sunday, 
Now, now here's what we know and we've experienced. Relationships that at one point had a clear path and connection. You've experienced it in your relationship, whether it's a friendship, spouse, whether it's a family member, and then something happened, didn't it? Something happened. All of a sudden, there was a wall between you. There was a barrier where now I, I literally, because you're tall, all I can see is your hat, right? Thank you, Andy. You can go ahead and sit back down, but it, that was helpful for the, the illustration there. Now, now, now we know and we've experienced this to be true in every single relationship. Now, let's, let's think about this. What about our relationship with God? Are there things that get in the way that break down our intimacy and our connection and our relationship with him? Are there things that get built up in between him where that life-giving, ongoing love relationship, there is just simply a barrier in the way? And so today, this morning, what we want to ask is, what keeps us from experiencing this ongoing love relationship? Are there barriers that break it down? And so Jesus is going to unpack just a powerful principle. Now, if you came and you're not uh, religious, the principle is powerful because it's true for all of relationships, but it's incredibly powerful when we apply it to our relationship with God. Now, here's the principle when we're talking about intimacy. The relational principle is this. The greatest barrier to intimacy— the greatest barrier to intimacy is the breakdown of integrity. The greatest barrier to intimacy, and last week we defined intimacy this way, I-N-T-O-M-E-S-E-E, -E, into me see. Intimacy is the sharing of hearts, the ability to open up your heart and someone see into it and you do the same. It is aligning of hearts together into me see. The greatest barrier that will break that down in your relationships with your mate, in your relationships with your kids, in your relationship with your God is a breakdown of integrity. The word integrity comes from the Latin integer, meaning whole or complete. Merriam-Webster defines it this way, the state of being complete or whole. One uh, writer said this, integrity is the inner sense of wholeness uh, de deriving from qualities such as honesty and consistency of character. I integrity is simply this, the state of being whole, that your private life and your public life, there is no disconnect. They are one in the same. Integrity is this, what you say and what you do are the same. When there's a breakdown between your private life and your public life, there's a breakdown in integrity. And as a result, if you're in relationship, it builds a barrier. The greatest barrier to intimacy is a breakdown between your private personal life and your public life. And a lot of times it that's just private. No, 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 no. It impacts everything. Greatest barrier, breakdown between what you say and what you do. I'll give you an example. Start with my kids because it's a little bit easier. It's less convicting. <laughs> you know. My kids, uh, we used to say this about Ella, and now Ella's now nine, almost ten, and sweetheart of a girl, and awesome, and I mean just beautiful growing up and freaking me out because she's growing up. But we used to call her the cutest little liar. 
because she, was, she would lie all the time. Now, I've started to tell my kids this. Now, now honey, the absolute worst thing you can do is lie. And here's why. It means I can't trust you. That means our relationship's broken and it builds a barrier between us. See, lying breaks down and it builds uh, intimacy. It builds this barrier where now I no longer know if you're really telling the truth and it creates a break in us and I can't ever trust you. The, the, the hardest thing in a relationship to do is not to truly be you, to tell the truth. It's, and so I go, okay. Now, we do this in relationships too. All the time. Uh, one of my worst, uh, one of our worst fights in our marriage, we've been married 11 years, was, uh, was in actually a relationship series. I was teaching a series a few years back, and it was really going well, and I got up there in front of everyone and said, hey, next week, Jenny's going to come, and she's going to do Q&A, and it's going to be awesome. You're going to love it, and she's got so much wisdom. It's going to be great. And so on the way home, I'm all pumped, and, you know, people are like, whoa, this is going great. I'm like, yeah, it is, isn't it? You know, and, you know, and then I call her and go, hey, guess what? Next week, you're going to do a Q&A. And she goes, no, I'm not. What do you mean, no, you're not? I got all mad in the beginning. She's like, you never asked me. You didn't ask me at all. And what you need to know about her is she doesn't want like to be up front at all. And so it creates an incredible amount of like, oh, angst in her. She's like, no, you can't commit me to do something that I didn't say I would. You need to go, and this is the hard part, you need to tell them you committed for me, and I'm not coming. And so I'm telling you, the whole week I'm like trying to figure out, okay, how can I work this around? Because I don't want to get up front and say, um, so I didn't ask my wife, and she said no. I mean, that night we were facing opposite directions because I was fuming. I didn't realize, I didn't realize. It was a breakdown in integrity. See, she couldn't trust me in what I said over here. And how I, and the entrustment she gave to me about our relationship. And it built a wall. Now let me hit a little bit closer to home and we'll move on to the, the principle that Jesus talked about here. In the area of relationship. Men. Because when we're talking about this and we're talking about intimacy, I think we kind of check out a little bit. Because the only type of intimacy we think about is sexual. Right? It's like intimacy, oh you mean sex. No, but yes. Uh, so let's talk about it. The greatest barrier, if we do take to sexual intimacy, is a breakdown in your personal integrity. Guys, what you need to know: some of uh, some of you are killing your sex life, and you don't even know it because you're looking at porn all the time, and the difference between your private and your public life is actually killing your sexual life. That's a great spot for an amen, ladies. You should have been with me. Um, <laughs> like, he talked about sex. It got weird. All right. Seriously. See, because you know what porn says 
and we'll move on. It's a little bit my soapbox right here. What porn says is that her body will never satisfy. So I have to look over here. And so you're constantly comparing her body to every other body. And you say, I love you, you're mine. And yet, I, I love everything else over here. You know what else it says? It also says, porn, you just got to know this. No body will ever satisfy. I just challenge you, men. Would you just try it out for a month? Just take a month and go, okay, I'm cleaning the slate. I'm going to get clean. Just see how it impacts, especially, well, yeah, you married guys. Let's talk there. Um, (laughs) And see the impact. But the same is true in every area. If you're not, you're saying, hey, I love you, but you don't talk highly about your mate or your friendship. I love you, but I don't, do, I don't treat you the same when I'm not around you. Greatest barrier to intimacy is a breakdown in integrity. Look at how Jesus says it. It's a difficult saying, and it's the principle that's underneath this saying and where we get it from. He says this as we're closing out our series, Matthew 6, 14 and 15. It looks like a, kind of an odd place to uh, end the series. Uh, it's in the context of prayer. That's why we know this is uh, on prayer. But uh, he ends the Lord's Prayer. And right after it, right after this verse is when he, t- he talks about fasting. The themes are picked up, what he talked about in the Lord's Prayer. He says this, four. Verse 14, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But, but if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And, and you kind of look at that and go, wow, what in the world? I mean, what, what is he talking about there? Forgive others their trespasses, and you know if they did something against you, and you have the right to hold it over them, he, you forgive them, you release them of that right, and he's saying, well, then God says, yeah, I'm forgiving you, and, and he says, but if you don't, then God's not. Well, that doesn't seem to line up with some things elsewhere I read. What, what in the world is he talking about? And Ingram, how in the world did you get that principle from this passage? Uh, The spiritual principle underneath this is intimacy with God requires integrity between my spiritual and earthly relationships. Intimacy, to experience intimacy, if God is on the other side of this, to experience intimacy is you got to have integrity between your spiritual relationship, God, and your earthly relationship, others. There can't be this dichotomy. You can't compartmentalize. Here's what Jesus is saying. You can't compartmentalize and say, you know what, I'm going to forgive or not forgive over here, and I relate to people and whatever, and then my relationship with God has no impact. He's saying it is all one in the same. There is no difference between your spiritual and earthly relationship. He says you, to experience intimacy, to experience intimacy with God, there has to be integrity between how you live and what you do and your relationship with him. Now, this is a principle we see over and over. See what Jesus is saying. If God has forgiven you this much, 
then everything else is little in comparison to that. How can you not forgive others? He goes into another area, another principle. If you look at the, the psalm, he talks about just in our own life, sin. He says that sin builds up, a breakdown in interior, builds up a barrier between us. You ever wonder why you, you feel like that you're praying and your prayers just hit the, the ceiling and it feels like God's distant? He says, if I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened saying, you can't expect to be close to me and live like hell over here. It doesn't work that way. James said it this way, James 4, 3, when you ask and you do not receive, you ask and you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your own pleasure. He's talking about, well, let's not just talk about our action. Now let's talk about motives. And you're going, well, I, I want to pray in an intimate, but I want relationship with God, but I want it so that I can get blank. And he's saying your motives, and you begin to examine your motives. The Proverbs says this. I mean, just think about this. Proverbs 21, 13 says, if a man shuts his ear to the cry of the poor, he too will cry out and not be answered. And God's going, look, if I've been so generous with you, but you can't be generous with others, it builds up a barrier between me and you. See, the principle here is intimacy with God requires integrity between your earthly, how you live, and your spiritual walk in relationship with God. Those aren't different. Those aren't separate. In fact, God sees it one and the same. That's why when Jesus answered, what is the greatest commandment? He said this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, or the second literally in that day is intimately connected. You cannot have the second without the other. Love God, and he says, love others. Right? Love others. He says there isn't a disconnect between how you live and how you relate to God. I mean, this is revolutionary, gang. Now, I, I can see that we're wrestling with this, especially in the area of forgiveness. Thankfully, Jesus gave us an illustration to help us unpack and, and get it. He gives us a really helpful illustration because I think that's a difficult saying where it says if you forgive others, then God will forgive, and if you don't forgive then God won't forgive you. Whoa, what a time out. I, this, this is crazy. What's that mean? Uh, check it out. Later on in Matthew, he, he says why this is such a big deal and begins to unpack and give us in picture form uh, what this looks like. It starts in Matthew 18, verse 21. Jesus tells this story, and it begins with Peter coming up and kind of trying to look like a really uh, stud, if you will. Uh, verse 21 says, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Now, his next question, it, he says, up to seven times. What you need to know in rabbinic tradition is that you only had to forgive someone three times. That was the maximum amount. So when Peter approaches Jesus, he's gone, all right, you know what, I'm going to ask this. But you ever ask the question where you want the teacher to be impressed with your knowledge, right? That's this. And, and he goes up and he's going, okay. Okay, Jesus, how many times do you think? Because I think up to seven. I know everyone, everyone else says three, but I think up to seven. And Jesus' response, I just, I, I could almost see, the, you know, the, yeah, just him deflate in front of Jesus. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. 
Wait, wait, wait. Wait, we went from three. I thought I was an overachiever at seven. And then now you're telling me 77 times, basically uncountable amount, at least when I'm talking about really, I don't like you're going to really keep track of 77 times. And he says, here's why. Here's why. Let me tell you why. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began uh, the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold, literally 10,000, some of your uh, translations say talents, that's the word talent there, uh, was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay the master, the master ordered that he and his wife uh, and his children and all that he owned be sold to repay the debt. Now, now this was typical for uh, transaction in the day. You owed a lot of money, and there's a couple different ways that you could go about it. You could either sell his possessions and his family into slavery so that you could start to pay it, and you'd leave him free so he could work his way out and eventually buy his family back. That was the most actually generous way. The second way was then to actually um, take, a, uh, take him and just take the man and throw him into what was known as debtor's jail, and where he would be whipped, tortured, and punished but it was one of those things. It was a punishment. It wasn't something where he would ever be able to get free because he couldn't make money. He couldn't uh, provide. And, and so in settling his account, the, the owner, the king, decides to do the most generous thing. Uh, now, let me just give you a picture of how much this servant owed. 10,000 talents, right? 10,000 talents or 10,000 bags of gold. A talent was 75 pounds of silver, 75 pounds of silver would roughly equal to 6,000 uh, denarii. Uh, and a denarii was just a single day's wage. So I tried to translate this into um, our current uh, monetary, even though uh, most scholars think it's way more than this. But just get this picture. So, so 6,000 denarii, that's what I'm telling, right? A denarii, day's wage, if we get it to our current day and go minimum wage, $9, a full day's wage would be $72 a day. So at the very minimum in California, that's what a denarii would represent. $72. 6,000 denarii uh, uh, comes to $432,000. Now, now, he didn't owe one talent. He owed 10,000 talents. This man owed $4.32 billion to the king. So when he's coming forward, I would be a little ticked too if you owed me $4.32 billion and you didn't pay it back. <laughs> he owes an insurmountable sum to ever repay the king back. He is indebted beyond what he could ever repay. And then so listen, listen to what he says. Verse 26, at this the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I'll pay back everything. Lie, lie. You can't pay back everything. The king knows it. You won't ever be able to pay back $4.32 billion. Verse 27, the, verse, the, ser the servant's master took pity. Circle that word pity. It's the, it's the Greek word splagizomai. 
had compassion, was filled with compassion. It's the word that's used of Jesus when he looks over Jerusalem and he weeps. And he says he took pity on Jerusalem because they're harassed and helpless like a, a, a sheep without a shepherd. It's, it's, that literally means to the rumbling of your bowels, that you're so deeply moved that it hurts. So when he saw this man, he hurt for him. And so he said he canceled the debt, $4.32 billion, and let him go. Verse 28, but when the servant went out, the one who was released of $4.32 billion, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 silver coins, or literally 100 denarii. Okay, 100 denarii, remember, is, uh, what was it, 7,000 or what was it, $72 a day, right? So 100 denarii, this person owed him $7,200. He had just been canceled $4.32 billion, with a B, billion dollars. He found someone who owed him $7,000 and changed $200. And here was his response. Found the one who owed him 100 silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow, servants, uh, uh, his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I'll pay it back. Same cry, same plea that the servant had to the king. But he refused. Instead, he went off and, and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. That is the debtor's prison. That was the torture where even though it was only $7,000, something he could pay back, he never would have the chance because he was thrown into a place where he would be unable to ever be able to repay it back. He would just be tortured for the rest of his life until he could pay back the debt. Verse 31, when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in, you wicked servant. I canceled all the debt of, your, of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailer to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. Moral of the story, verse 35. This, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brothers or sister from your heart. The big idea of the parable, if I can't forgive others, then I haven't really experienced the depths of God's forgiveness for me. If I can't extend forgiveness out to you, what it reveals is more not about the other person. It reveals more about me and my understanding of God and how he's forgiven me. Because the reality is, is every single one of us, when we stand before a holy and righteous God, the reality is, is that we stand completely in debt in a place unable to pay, so much so that he had to send his own son to die in our place that we might be saved. See, and you look at that and you go, okay, God forgave me everything. He's wiped my slate clean. 
He's paid the debt I couldn't pay. Anything else? Anything between a person and I really, really is chump change compared to what I owed to God. How could I not respond in kind? I remember a number of years back doing college ministry and, and had these three girls and uh, they're in an argument and we're trying to fix the argument and it was a silly thing. I'm sitting here, you know, and there's some things that in certain stages of life seem like a really big deal, you know that, but you look back on life and go, that was stupid, uh, you know, right? This is one of those sort of things. There's these three girls sitting in my office, and I mean, they're like ready to claw each other's eyes out, you know? I mean, they're like intense, and uh, this one girl says, I will never forgive her ever for the rest of my life. You know what the other person did or was accused of? Speaking negatively about her friend's brother. That was it. She didn't kill anyone, you know, didn't do any. It was just simply said something like, no, you'll never talk like that. And yet, and yet. And yet, far too many of us, even though that is on the extreme, and I think we're more mature than that, hold bitterness and anger to those who've wronged us. Hold on to things and past family members and, and experiences, and, and you, you go, I, I, I won't forgive you. I won't let go. And what it reveals, what it reveals is Really, fundamentally, you don't understand, and I don't understand in those moments how much we've been forgiven. Because if we realize when we stand before God that there, we owe $4.32 billion and there's nothing we can do about it. And when he looked at us, he said, it's done, it's canceled, it's finished, you're forgiven. Every other offense from God's perspective is a $7,000 offense. It says that if you've been forgiven that, then that's easy. Let me give you the definition of forgiveness for how we begin to process this. Forgiveness is a verb, not an emotion, by the way. It is something you do, not something you feel. Actions precede emotion. We're, we oftentimes wait until we feel like it, and what you need to do, what you need to understand, is scripturally, and even um, uh, if you do it in psychology, is that your actions and what you step towards, your emotions will follow as you take the correct course. Forgiveness simply means this, to release my right for revenge to cancel from debt, to release from debt. It is saying, you know what? I have the right to be repaid. I have the right to, to get revenge. I have the right, and I'm simply going to let go of it. There's been multiple studies on the power of forgiveness uh, from a secular standpoint, even though it's been known primarily as a religious uh, idea, but in how powerful it is and what it does in the person who forgives 
Because the anger and the anxiety and the blood pressure and all those sort of things get spiked when you see that person and you hold on to and you live, actually people who are unable to forgive live shorter lives. So, so how do you forgive from the heart? Let's just get real practical. Three stages of forgiveness. If forgiveness is a verb, not an emotion, how do I do it? Because if it's true that the greatest barrier to intimacy with God is integrity, and there needs to be integrity between my earthly and spiritual life, then one of the fundamental areas where I've experienced His overwhelming grace is His forgiveness. So how do I do that with people? I think we can learn some things from simply the tenses of the verb, forgive. First tense is, I forgive you. It's a choice that you make at a particular time. It's a choice. I choose to forgive you. I don't feel like it, but today I release my right for revenge. I release my right to get paid back. I'm going to let go of what I feel like I'm justly due. I forgive you. Now, depending on how severe the offense means that uh, how hard it is or how long the process to forgive, right? So it doesn't just simply, from our human standpoint, that's the problem with us, is we can say that in a point in time, but all of a sudden they do something, all of a sudden they say something, all of a sudden something triggers, and you take up your right for revenge back all over again, right? And so you start with, you know what? Today I choose to forgive him. This is powerful in your marriage, by the way. I choose to forgive them. I'm not going to hold that argument over his head for the rest of our marriage. I'm not going to hold that over my kids or over that friendship. Or I forgive you. I let go of my right. And then something will trigger it, and the deeper the wound, the longer the process. So then the next step is from I forgive to I'm forgiving you. You enter the process of forgiving where you say, I am forgiving you. I'm in process. I, I realize that every time that comes up, every time I want to take back that right for revenge, I then have to acknowledge that thought and go, God, I give it back. I will release my right for revenge. And again, the deeper the wound, the longer the process. A simple thing in a moment. I forgive you and it's done. Man, a deep wound with the relationship, with the mate, abuse. It can take a long time and need some real specific help. But you enter the process of forgiving. And finally, finally, the third is you, when you finish is you're forgiven or I've forgiven you. You know when you finish the process, when you look or see the person, when you can say, I wish you well. See, you know that you're in the process when you look or see the person or think of the person and I wish them harm. Right? Like, I, I, I don't want them to really get, uh, you know, it would be nice if, I, not like hit by a car, God, but 
maybe clipped, you know, clipped. I mean, they wouldn't die. You've had the thought too. But you know you've come to the end of the process where you say, I wish you well. Now, here's what forgiveness doesn't mean, real quick, because I think this is real important, just for interpersonal. Forgiveness doesn't mean forgetting. That's a lie. To forgive and forget, you won't be able to forget. The ability is to say, you know what, they did that, but I no longer hold this over them. Forgiveness doesn't mean restoring. Romans says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with all men, all people. As far as it depends on you, there are some things and some people you are not able to be restored or reconciled to. They are toxic. They will, do not have trust. They will continue to do great harm. See, we, we miss this in church world, and we think Christianity is this wimpy whatever, and so we just go, you know what? Forgive and forget. And so then we just keep, you know, going back and going, well, I forgave him, so that means i got to hang out and i got to be nice and friends. No! Forgiveness means to release your right for revenge, not to hold a debt over them. It does not mean you're going to be best buddies, hang out, and have friends. Sometimes it does. But there are some people, and you know it, and you've experienced it. Maybe it's a past person that has hurt you deeply, wounded you, an abuser. Forgiveness does not mean going back and engaging in that relationship. Some of you are in a very harmful relationship, and God's counsel to you would be get out. Thirdly, forgiveness doesn't mean repeating. doesn't mean repeating back over and over. We get caught in a cycle with people. You're not a doormat. Forgiveness means I'm not going to hold this over you. In fact, I'm going to pray for you. but it doesn't mean that I'm going to necessarily, because you have so violated and you so have done some things, that if I came back, it, it, it could do the greatest harm ever. Let me ask you this. As we've been talking in Jesus' principle here, intimacy with God requires integrity between my spiritual and earthly relationships. Now, is, is there someone that you need to engage and enter into the process of forgiveness. It might mean that after this service that you make a phone call. I remember having to make that phone call because I was the one violated. When we moved from Georgia to California, my former boss really ripped us off and uh, we're out a whole month's pay and we didn't have any money and we're trying to move across country and this Christian guy and so deeply hurt and so deeply wounded 
And for about six months, every time I thought of this guy, it was just anger. It was bitterness. So angry at him. How could he do that to my family? How can you call yourself a Christian and then treat people that way? For months, I lived in it, and it ate me up, and I was consumed by it. In that, because that's where bitterness and angerness, anger does to us, right? We become consumed by it, and we play the images in our head. Like, if we ever really got our chance, if, the, if there wasn't law, you know, and weren't police officers, here's what I'd do. You know you do it. I do, too. And one morning... One morning, I just remember just having this overwhelming sense, you need to call him. You need to call him. I'm like, why? I don't want to call him. I, I, want, I want everything about his life to not work, God. Honestly. You need to call him, and you need to ask for forgiveness. Time out. I didn't do anything wrong. So you think the last six months where you've been thinking all these thoughts about him and holding bitterness and anger and... Okay. One of the most awkward conversations I had is early morning, West Coast time, so it was, it was probably six here, so it was probably nine there. And I go, hey... Um, I just wanted to say I'm sorry. You don't know this, but how we ended um, and how you treated my family, I, um, it created such pain and such hurt that I, I have deep bitterness and anger towards you. And I'm sorry. Will you please forgive me? And I'm telling you, it wasn't a beautiful phone call and there wasn't restoration. And honestly, if there was ever opportunity for us to work together again, it would have to be like clouds in the sky and God showing up and speaking. But that started the day where I entered into the process. Started forgiveness. I can honestly say now, I wish you well. I wish you well. Maybe for you, there's someone. Do not think and do not assume that you can have lives over here and it not impact your relationship with God. See, that's the point Jesus is making. Would you bring integrity into all that you do? Um, as we close and as the band comes up, the idea of God's forgiveness is so prevalent through this. And I just encourage you, maybe you came in and you feel far from him, and here's what you need to know. Whether you know him or you're in, you feel like you have a broken, whether you feel like the barrier's up, he says, I'm the God that cancels all the debt. 
And you know how I did it. I did it through my son, Jesus. And for those who don't yet, and you long to have a relationship with the God of the universe, his invitation is he says, come to me. I want to break down the walls and the barriers between us that we can have a relationship. And all it takes is for you to come and go, God, I desperately need you. I believe that your son died in my place. Would you forgive me? Come inside and make me new. And invite you, you can just have that conversation on your own right now and you can start a brand new relationship with him. Would you do that this morning? And for some, you just need to start Start the journey afresh with them and go, God, I've been holding some stuff and I've been doing, I haven't lived with integrity between my earthly and my spiritual life. And so God, would you forgive me? And would you show me what the next step is? And whatever you show me, I'll do.